Welcome to the South Canaan Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Appreciate the long-standing relationship that uh, we've had together in the work of the kingdom, and I appreciate your faithful support in those labors. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the creation and the gospel. In the reading of the morning, we found John's um, very brief recounting of the creation story tied to a discussion of Jesus Christ. And when you think about a recounting of the creation story, of course, it takes you back to the creation story. And in the studying those two accounts, the Genesis 1 original account of creation, and then John's uh, brief recounting of that as he weaves that into a discussion of Jesus, it occurs to us that the creation narrative is written in a way that points to the gospel. And John takes up that creation narrative and sort of like turning the focus on a camera brings into focus how the creation story speaks of the gospel. Now, that's, at least for my own sake, that's just an interesting observation about the interconnectivity of Scripture, and there's a certain amount of faith-building value in that. But beyond that being a pleasing and amusing observation, there's utility in that and what it speaks to us today. And the more I study that connection and the more I think about these things that are said in the creation of the world, the more we see hints of our walk with Christ and in New Testament teaching that instructs us how to live for Christ, he uses creation language very often to describe the manner of our walk. So let's talk about these things together. <coughs> let's go back to the creation narrative of Genesis 1, the first four verses, where he said, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now I've highlighted in this passage some key things that we will consider <coughs> in the comparison to what John says about uh, Christ and about Jesus as the Son of God being involved in creation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. So he's speaking of Jesus when he says Word. That is a name or a descriptive title that depicts the Son of God. The last verse of this morning's reading, John 1 verse 14, secures that thought for us, though we might uh, gather that from just reading the first couple of verses. <laughs> he secures that thought when he said the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And of course we understand that can be none other than Jesus. So in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, the Son of God. Thank you, brother. And he was in the beginning, and all things, verse 3 now, are made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and darkness does not comprehend it. Of course, he goes on from there to talk more about John the Immerser's role in announcing the coming of Christ into the world, the coming of the light into the world, and our salvation through Christ. But these verses here, these first five verses, for the present purposes, will help us to secure <coughs> the relationship between these two creation narratives. Let's look at it now this way with a chart that should help us. The creation <coughs> is depicted by the terminology in the beginning. God created. That's Genesis. Or in the beginning was the word. And he talks about all things made through him. That's creation language. Then we notice the darkness and chaos that he associates with darkness. When you read that Genesis account, <clears throat> you get a real sense of disorder in that chaos. It is no mistake that in the New Testament, he so often speaks of sin and the chaos that sin brings into our lives as darkness. Chaos prevailed in that moment of creation. But God remedied that when he said, let there be light. So <clears throat> the earth was without form. It was void and there was darkness on the face of the deep. And we see in John that the light shines in the darkness and that light is Jesus. And so you can see a comparison that we will make in this analogy between the creation of light and the bringing of Christ into the world. Let there be light. The voice of God thundered there in the creation narrative. Now when we take that to Christ, we see in him was life, and the life was the light of men. <clears throat> the thing about Jesus, the attribute about Jesus, that makes it fitting to describe him as light, that is that same attribute that gives us life. That is the light of men and the life of men, you see. And then going on, we find in the creation story <clears throat> that God saw that the light, and notice what he said about light. He said it was good. He's making a point here. And God divided the light from the darkness. So there is the separation then of light from darkness. In making the light good. He creates that separation. And then, of course, in the John story, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. So there's sort of an implied ethical separation between light and the sense of Christ being the light of the world and the opposite of that, or the darkness of sin. So we have all that before us now to show kind of the uncanny comparison between the creation narrative as Moses recorded it in Genesis and the creation narrative as John recounted it in a way accommodating an introduction to the gospel of Christ. We see the creation. We see chaos and darkness. We see the command, let there be light. And then we see that light separates from darkness by its very nature. They cannot exist together. And then when we go to the John narrative, in creation, God made you. And that's something we're going to talk about today. 
And we see in the chaos and darkness something that is used later in Scripture to depict the chaos and folly of sin. And sin and its destruction that it brings. And then in this let there be light, we see God's command. Think of it. Join me in this happy thought. God surveyed a world overwhelmed with the darkness of sin. He saw naught but folly and chaos. And he saw a helpless and hopeless man groping persistently in the darkness, failing to find his way. And as his voice thundered long ago, let there be light, so it was, thank God, that 2,000 years ago, he issued forth the command, it is time. Let there be light. And with that, Jesus was born into the world. The light of the world. The remedy for darkness and chaos. And Christ, by his very nature, by the nature of his mission to save us, by the nature of what he teaches us, and how he instructs our manner of life, Christ separates light and darkness. Let's think about the creation then. In the gospel, as John describes it in John 1, we find this teaching that God made you. All things were made through him. That's Jesus. There's nothing that's created that he didn't help create. And that's a powerful thought because that shows us the true divine nature of Jesus, the Son of God. For there are those who want to minimize his deity and say, well, he was a God or he was someone really special or he was this really, really powerful angel, but he wasn't fully divine and that's not true. And that system of thought or theology says that Jesus was created by God. Now, they'll say he was the first thing that God created, but that he was created. But John says anything that was created, Jesus helped to create. And so if he was created, he helped create himself, and we see the absurdity of that. And so he couldn't be created because he was involved in the creation of all things that are in that category of a created being. He is truly the fully divine Son of God that became fully human when he was made flesh and dwelt among us, the essence of God's redemptive plan. And Jesus as creator joined God in the commandment to make humankind, to create Adam and then make Eve. In Psalms 144 in verse 3 it says, Lord, what is man? that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man, that you are mindful of him. Sometimes in a show or a movie or something, you'll see, for dramatic effect, you'll see kind of an, like an overhead camera shot of something happening in someone's life, and you'll see that back away to, you know, a full view of their yard or wherever they're standing, and then you'll see it back away farther where, you're looking at city level and just keep backing out until it's way out in outer space. Sometimes if they really want to be dramatic, they just keep backing out until they show the solar system and then the galaxy and then multiple galaxies. And by the time you get that far out, you think, wow, we're really small. 
We're not even a speck on a speck. We're so small. In the grand vastness of God's creation. And in the realization of that smallness, the psalmist said, what is man that you've bothered to notice us? That you pay attention to us? That you are mindful of us? That you supply our need? In Psalms 100 and verse 3, he said, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. This psalm sort of, in a way, answers the question of the other psalm, doesn't it? Who's man that you, we're, you're mindful of us? And God's answer is, you're my people. I made you. I don't care if you're small compared to all the galaxies. I still care about you. And the digger, uh, the digger we deep, <laughs> the deeper we dig, and if you want to dig her deep while you're at it, go right ahead. But the deeper we dig into the creation story, we find of all the things that God made, as splendid and marvelous as they are, there's only one thing that God made in his image, and that's humankind. And that is why God says we are special and our life has worth. That is what makes us his and the sheep of his pasture and his people. God craves for humans to be his and have that relationship with him. And so when God made you and mankind fell into sin, it stands to reason then that God would have a plan for you that would bring you across the boundary of sin and back to him because he wants you to be his sheep and he wants you in his pasture. And he wants that for me and he wants that for everyone else. John's account said the light shines in the darkness. Think of that as a reminder of sin being in the world and then God saying, let there be light and sending Jesus. John plays on this idea of darkness and sin elsewhere in his gospel narrative. For example, in John 3, verse 19 through 21, this is the condemnation that the light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So notice some things that Christ says in, or in John's gospel that it says that's characteristic of the light. It's condemnation that light is coming to the world. Look, if, if I'm looking for something, let's say I drop something beside the bed and it's light in the evening so it's kind of dark in there in the room and I'm looking for that. I've got a little flashlight there in the nightstand that I can turn on and when I turn that flashlight on, it shines it down there and then I can see, you know, where I dropped whatever. When I turn that light on, I'm just as much as saying it's dark down there and I can't see I don't have to make the announcement. I've done that by virtue of reaching for the flashlight and turning the flashlight on. 
You see that? So when God sent Jesus as a light into the world, that very act says there's darkness there and there's a need for light. So that condemns our sin. That condemns our guilt and announces our need for a Savior. But men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because they're caught up in sin. And that's why some so strongly reject Jesus, just as darkness rejects light. And then he goes on and talks about people practicing evil. It's not just about someone making a mistake from time to time, but someone whose life is given over to sin. And that's a kind of life that's going to reject something about Jesus, if not everything. Some people reject everything about Jesus. Some reject a little bit, but say they believe in Jesus, but there are key things about Jesus that they reject. And so in John's analogy here, in John 3, you can really see where he's carrying on with this darkness and light theme, isn't he? Let there be light. The sending of Christ into the world. John 8 and 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That sounds so much like what we read in John 1 about life and the, uh, the light of men and all that language. The New Testament is rich with this language of Jesus being the light. And think of the power of that. Think of the power of Jesus saying, I am a light of the world. Okay, I, I took you to a kind of a scenario where it's dark down here, and so I turn on a flashlight to shed light on that so I can see. And I can do that because I have a flashlight. You know what I don't have? I don't have a flash dark. <laughs> I don't have a little stick that I can say, well, it's, it's bright down here, the light's on, so I'm going to turn this thing on and it turns it dark. I don't have that. There's a power in light that darkness does not know. Darkness is ominous. Darkness can be so dreadfully controlling. And the more darkness, the easier it is to find chaos. Like stubbing your toe, for example, as you're trying to walk in the darkness. And you have all this chaos and this disorder. Think of Genesis 1. And you want to bring order to that. You want to relieve the chaos. You shine the light in that situation. And so it is in our lives. We bring Christ into our lives. We welcome Him as not just a Savior, but as our Lord who has the right to rule us. And that brings order where there once was chaos. And light where there was once darkness. Jesus is that hope. Look in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6 to show that others besides John use this theme of light and darkness. Read where Paul used this theme with the Corinthians. He said, It is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's like the face of Jesus Christ in the 
in the language here is the bulb of the flashlight, so to speak. And so it's very Christ-centered. And he's talking about the gospel message here. And in the greater context, you'll find things there where Satan is trying to hinder the gospel message because he doesn't want people to see the light. He doesn't want people to know Jesus. And in describing the issuing of that gospel call that we would carry the gospel, the light of Christ out to this dark world to bring salvation, to bring light and the life of men to the world, he talks about God commanding the light to shine in darkness. Genesis 1, let there be light. The command that Jesus would be born fully God and yet manifest in the flesh, let there be light. The command for you and I to take the gospel message to the world around us. Let there be light. And Jesus separates the light from the darkness. And John, he said it like this, darkness doesn't comprehend light. There's really no mingling of it. When I'm searching for the whatever that fell, I turn that flashlight on it. There's not a darkness and a light. It's just light. It's hit that and it's not dark anymore. You can take ingredients in a recipe and you can mix them together and they'll mix. Sometimes you have to add a third ingredient to get two things to mix. Oil and water don't mix, right? Can't you add an egg to that and make it mix? Some of you who are chemistry majors could answer that. Or if you're a good cook, you might know the answer to that. But, you know, it takes things to make things mix, but they'll mix. You can't mix light and darkness. By nature of his identity, his mission, and his message, Jesus rejects and pushes away the darkness as light pushes away darkness. In Luke 12, he put it like this in verse 51 through 53. Do not suppose that I came to give peace on earth. I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus explains something here about the nature of his mission and the nature of what it means to follow him. And its nature is such that it separates people. And you might look at this thinking about the promised mission of the Messiah as it's explained, especially in the Old Testament, and think, wait a minute, he's the Prince of Peace. That's what Isaiah said about him in Isaiah 9 and 6. I think y'all studied from Isaiah the prophet several months back, so you probably talked about that some. He's the Prince of Peace. And now he said, I didn't come to give peace. Well, what about when he was born and the, the pronouncement, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And now he's coming saying, actually, I didn't come to bring peace. How do we sort that all out? Well, it's really not that complicated. When he said peace on earth, he wasn't talking about peace between people. He's talking about between peace between God and man. When Messiah is the Prince of Peace, that's describing the peace he brings between 
us and to God, our creator, who we offended with sin. He's the peace treaty, okay? Now, when we make peace with God, we have peace with others who've done the same. But when you make peace with God, you make the devil your enemy. And so it is with those who follow the devil, whether they consciously realize it or not. And so while the darkness is rejecting the light because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, while that is happening, when you welcome the light of Christ into your life, you need to understand that is going to bring separation between you and those who love darkness. And that's the kind of separation that he's talking about here. You can be as peaceful in your intentions as you want. You can love your neighbor as much as you can muster. But when you follow in the light of Christ, people who love darkness will reject you because Light sends darkness fleeing, and light exposes darkness, and darkness doesn't like that. So now we get down to the utility of it and say, what will you do? In the beginning, God created. And how many times has the New Testament used the idea of God creating to depict us being recreated in Christ. Well, I haven't counted, but it's often. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So coming into Christ, becoming a Christian then, in the sense of this passage, is described as though God is creating you afresh. But it's a spiritual recreation, not being reshaped soil with life breathed into it, but a reshaped and refashioned and ordered chaos. Where the chaos and the sin that once defined and dominated you has sent, been sent fleeing by the power of the light, of Jesus Christ, and now he's bringing order to the chaos. And that order is such a drastic change, it's as though you're being made afresh, a new creation. Ephesians 4 and 24 puts it like this, that you put on the new man which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Just like man was made in the image of God early in the book of Genesis, so it is today when we take on Christ as a Christian, we are to be a new cre creature created according to God. Our new person is to be in the image of God. We're to bear the image of God. We're, we do that in being Christ-like, don't we? Have you done that in becoming a Christian? And are you participating in that ongoing process of change, the repentance to which we are called? Darkness was on the face of the deep in Genesis 1, but that changed when the light came.
And so the darkness in our lives, the darkness of sin, must change when the light comes. And that is repentance, wherein our hearts reject the darkness. We don't love sin. We don't love darkness because our deeds are evil. We do what love does, and we hate sin, and we reject it. In 1 John chapter 1, a later writing from the same apostle that we're studying this morning, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Does that sound a little bit to you like God separated light from darkness? Does that sound like that's playing off of the creation language? A lot like John did in John 1 when he's describing Christ as our Savior coming in the world to save us? Does that sound like John is now saying, all right, folks, y'all got the comparison between creation and the ministry of Christ. Now live it. And the utility he gives to that, the practical application is, you don't live in darkness. You don't practice that. Instead, you walk in the light. Well, does that mean we're perfect? No. And he makes that clear right here. There's still sin from time to time that we need that blood to cleanse us of. But the direction and the intent of the choices that we make day by day and the manner of our growth and the manner of our life depicts a follower of Jesus and someone who's living like him. And there are those who are saying it doesn't matter. You can live how you want and still be a Christian. But verse 6 takes that thought away. If you're going to claim to have fellowship with Christ, you cannot willfully live a life of sin. It doesn't work. Such a life is a lie. You can put on a veneer and clean up real nice and try to present yourself to others as, you know, one of the people in the light. But when you willfully, secretly weave sin into your life behind the scenes, this passage in 1 John 1 and verse 6 tells us that kind of life is a lie. Don't think you can live that way and be pleasing to Jesus. Repent and continue and persist in that process of repentance. In Acts 26, verse 17 and 18, here Jesus is talking to Saul of Tarsus. This is the Apostle Paul, much later in life, retelling the story of his conversion. And he's telling about the conversation that he had with Jesus at that time. And Jesus said to him, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
So as Christ told Paul about the gospel ministry for which he would live, he talked about him carrying the message of Christ to that lost world of darkness. He talked about people coming to a point of having faith in Christ. He talked about those people who come to having faith in him turning from darkness to light. That's repentance, to turn from darkness to light. That's their eyes being opened. That's them seeing what matters most in life. And what does such a person receive? He said, forgiveness of sins. God restores order to the chaos. And when does that forgiveness of sin come? It comes when we obey the gospel. So come to Jesus. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says to saints around the New Testament world, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. There's that same call. When we come to Jesus, that's a step of repentance in rejecting the darkness. In Colossians 1, 13 and 14, he described it like this when he said, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. When you look at these two passages and you take them back to what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus as recorded in Acts 26, it all comes together. Paul is going to go out and preach a message of repentance and coming to Jesus and coming to faith in Him and having your sins forgiven. And that's going to deliver people from the power of Satan and give them over to the saving power of God. And that's exactly what happens here. Someone is taken from the power of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And in that, they have forgiveness of sins. When does that happen? When you obey the gospel. Acts 22 and 16, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. This is another instance where Paul was retelling the story of his conversion, where Christ talked to him about telling others the gospel. This is the part where Paul himself obeyed the gospel and received forgiveness of sins. And when did that happen? Well, he come to believe in Jesus. He repented of the darkness in which he walked. And that journey into Christ culminated when he was baptized into Christ and his sins were forgiven. If you're not a Christian, it's clear what you've got to do. You've got to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to repent of the darkness of sin and come to Jesus and know that that step is culminated when you're baptized into Christ and then your sins are washed away. And he restores order to the chaos. Then you live a life that respects the fact that God divided the light from the darkness. You live a life that is separate from the darkness. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5 through 8. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Let us who are of the day be sober, 
putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. He calls to mind the concept of the creation narrative in Genesis 1, where the day he called the light, he called day, and the darkness he called night. We read that in Genesis chapter 1, and here he says, we're the people of the light, we're the people of the daytime. We walk with Christ. We don't point our lives towards sin and seek to follow sin and Satan because therein is chaos and death and destruction. We make a, a bold and sometimes difficult choice to press on in a courageous faith that is an ongoing rejection of the darkness. In Ephesians 5 verse 8 and then verse 11, Talking about those Christians, he said, you were once darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The Ephesian letter has different instances where he tells them about our walk. Different ways he describes that walk. And in this passage, he describes it as a walk like you're a child of the day, not a child of the night. And go back to the Thessalonian wording there in the verse just above it. And then he goes on in verse 11 and says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Instead of turning and deliberately, persistently participating in sin, we should stand against it with our words and with our manner of life. And we become like Christ and that we are a reflection of His light to the world around us, a light that exposes darkness and sends it fleeing. It's a call to be separate from the darkness. We've studied this morning about the first day, that first day of creation. Now I want to read you a passage about the last day. From the same apostle that talked about the first day, the apostle John, chapter 12, verse 46 through 48. I have come as a light into the world. That whosoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The first time Christ came to the earth fully human, he didn't come to execute judgment. He'd come to bring salvation. And that's what he's explaining here. But he's also explaining my presence puts before humankind a choice. Light or darkness. And if you choose to reject Jesus the light, judgment wouldn't come back then during his ministry. He said it would follow. Especially on that last day. And that last day, his word, would be the standard by which people would be judged. And those who reject Christ and live in darkness will be judged accordingly. The first time he came as a gentle lamb, the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. That's the his first day, so to speak. But that last day, a lion, the terrors of God's judgment, wrought against sin don't be left in that folly and that chaos but come to the light of Christ and be a follower of him I hope this study has encouraged you 
so that if you're not a Christian today, you'll make the choice to come to the light of Jesus and become a child of God. If you are a Christian, I hope you're encouraged to persist in that walk in the light. If you need help either in becoming a Christian or if you're a Christian and you need help being stronger in your walk in the light, we want to help you with that. We'd love to help you in obeying the gospel if that's your wish today. If you've already done that, but you're struggling with darkness in your life, we want to pray with you. Your elders here will shepherd you and study with you and help you. If we can help you in either way, please come. Have a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.